You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. Today we're going to be talking about the Super Bowl and the past, present and future of Super Bowl advertising. Joining me to discuss this is Tim Nudd, longtime advertising critic. Previously at Adweek, Tim is now editor-in-chief of Muse by Clio, which is part of the Clio Awards, and it's a platform for writing about creativity in advertising and beyond. And next month, Tim is helping to launch a podcast called Tagline, which will offer a deep dive into classic ad campaigns. Also joining me is Julia Ahrens, Stylus' editor of Pop Culture and Media. So welcome to you both. So, Tim, I think let's start with some of your all-time favorite or most memorable Super Bowl ads, because obviously Super Bowl advertising is one of the sort of biggest moments in the ad calendar, and we've seen some pretty incredible uh, work over the past few years. So what sticks in your mind? Definitely. Well, thanks, first of all, for having me. I appreciate it. Gosh, there's been so many. I have so many favorites, of course. I think I'll just give you a short list of a few of them. We can't have this discussion without mentioning 1984, of course, which was the touchstone sort of game-changing advertising that really turned the Super Bowl into an advertising showcase. E-Trade Monkey from 2000, also one of my favorites, where the monkey's dancing in the garage for 30 seconds and E-Trade says, we just wasted $2 million. What are you doing with your money? I think one of the all-time greats. As far as storytelling goes, I really love the Volkswagen Little Darth Vader commercial, which will be one of our episodes that we focus on in Tagline. That was 2011. A couple of years later, the Ram Farmer commercial, just the pure beauty of the craft of that with the voice of Paul Harvey and the, the black and white photographs of Ram trucks. Pretty amazing. 2015 was Always Like a Girl, which was a 60 second cut of a longer social film that did really well. And then three years ago, Tide did a really interesting thing called It's a Tide Ad, where they sort of set things up in the first quarter to say, you know, every Super Bowl ad's a Tide Ad because everyone's wearing clean clothes. That was a really clever sort of fun way. Sachi and Sachi did that one. Fun way to get in, into the conversation with the sort of repeatable gimmick that they did throughout the game. So those are, you know, it's a short list of some of my faves. It's interesting that, you know, all those examples are really quite different in tone and approach. Uh, I, I wonder if you think there's anything in the last five years or so that, that sort of you've seen a shift in commercial language around the event that sort of pointed to a direction that suggests some of these approaches may no longer be viable? Well, I don't think it's about it not being viable. I think, you know, broadly speaking, I think the formula has essentially stayed the same, even in recent years, which is spectacle and comedy are sort of the cornerstones. I think what you have seen over the last, I would go back further than five years, I'd, I'd probably go back 10 years and say, you know, the, the financial crisis of, of 2008, 2009, 2010, I think that really led to a change from brands in what they think is is doable in terms of messaging on the Super Bowl. So, you know, coming out of that financial crisis, particularly the automakers who were sort of bailed out of that of that financial crisis, you know, they came in in 2011, 2012 with some really interesting stuff. Chrysler addressing the struggles of Detroit, spots with Eminem and Clint Eastwood. Uh, a few years later, you know, the Like a Girl addressing gender stereotypes. That's not something anyone would have expected on the Super Bowl a few years prior to that. Uh, a couple of years after that, there was a company called 84 Lumber uh, addressed immigration in, in a halftime spot on the Super Bowl as well. So I do think, you know, this this trend towards 
you know, purpose-driven advertising, you know, this awakening in corporate America, you know, towards saying something a little bit bigger than yourself has been embraced on the Super Bowl, but I would, I think in a limited way, I think, you know, really what's, what's happened is most companies come in with a celebrity or a gag or a spectacle, and they still do today, but a few companies, you know, they do embrace something bigger than themselves, something, you know, where they, they talk about their values or talk about a political issue or something, but, you know, I don't think it's changed the formula drastically. And I think, you know, we'll get to this, I'm sure in a bit, but, you know, big companies, you know, getting out of the Super Bowl this year, a lot of them are getting out, I think partly because they don't know what to say if they're not being silly. So, yeah, I, yeah, think, I, I mean, think the formula is kind of the same. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And let's, let's sort of address it straight away. This, this, you know, brands pulling out from, from this year's Super Bowl. Julia, what, what have you been seeing in terms of what brands are saying about why they're, they're taking a break this year? I mean, Obviously, it's interesting because we are experiencing these many overlapping crises, both in US, but also on a global stage, which, let's face it, is impacted by the whole, especially the marketing and brands comms spectacle around the Super Bowl. So I think there's quite a bit of, you know, brand activism, which is something we've been seeing in the last couple of years already. And Tim's mentioned these things where brands very explicitly say they're not going to spend the millions of dollars that you have to pay for specific airtime within the event and then rather redivert these funds into social causes. And I think Budweiser is doing that this year by actually supporting the, well, both education on vaccination and then the distribution chain for vaccinations and then running a cheaper campaign in more affordable ad slots to then promote. They're not using the actual normal promoting spectacle. And I think that's as we we're just saying, there's this interesting angle for this the shift towards mutual aid and brand purpose in brand messaging. And they're kind of playing to what I think is like the consumer awareness of the spectacle and the cost thereof. And I think these things have been present in the Super Bowl from a sort of subversive angle, like the David Harbour tied ad that Tim mentioned from two years ago. I think this is very much playing towards like a canny audience awareness off like the spectacle and what is the dividing line between is it worth the entertainment or should we actually refunnel these funds to more lasting causes and I think there's going to be a larger demand for or greater scrutiny for what brands do with the money that's at their disposal still especially in times of crisis like this. I think Budweiser is an interesting point you know I think AB InBev can afford to step back and say you know, let's, you know, as they did at the very beginning of COVID, you know, let's make hand sanitizer. Let's give a, a lot of money to the Red Cross. You know, let's let's work with our partners to make stadiums available for blood drives, things like that. You know, a brand of that size can do that. But you're all in the Super Bowl, you're always going to have brands that, you know, have different objectives. They need to push a product. They need to change perception of themselves. And they need to get in front of, you know, these eyeballs, which, you know, it's 2021, but it's still the only, really the only venue where you're guaranteed 100 million, you know, viewers. You can get that online, but you have to produce something that people, that many people will watch. So, you know, I think you're seeing all these little companies come in now this year. And, and I do think, you know, beyond Budweiser, you know, Pepsi and Coke are out, uh, Hyundai's out, which I think Hyundai was, had been in 10 of the last 11 or something, and Kia as well, I think eight or nine straight, and they're, they're out. So it's a real a trend this year. And I think it'll be interesting to see who's left. And I think the other thing is, you know, it's difficult right now because just in terms of messaging, you know, if you create an ad that ignores COVID entirely, you know, you run the risk of being out of, you know, being seeming out of touch 
if you focus on COVID, you run the risk of kind of being a downer or creating something that's forgettable. So I think the, the burden on the creative work itself is much higher. And it seems like plenty of these companies are saying, you know what, that's not a bet that I want to take this year. I'm going to, I'm going to take a break. Do you think also for smaller brands, it's realistic to try and engage via, you know, like second screen online campaigns and kind of hijacking the event without having direct brand affiliations. I mean, you've seen bigger brands do that. I think Course has a really interesting campaign this year about getting into people's dreams instead of on their screens. But do you think you can create similar bus just by engaging around the tempo without actually having the big brand presence to then amplify these messages that you're trying to get across alongside the event? Yeah, I think you definitely can. We've seen a few campaigns this year already from from beer beer marketers because like you mentioned cores i mean ab InBev has alcohol exclusivity on the game right so nobody if you're a beer marketer you can't get on the game unless you're ab InBev. so your only option is to try to hijack from the outside and we've seen over the years many brands do that successfully you know the thing that newcastle did called if we made it which was a campaign about whether if they had made a great super bowl commercial which they hadn't but the whole gag was sort of around you know, the, the shared experience of people knowing how big Super Bowl is for brands. So it becomes sort of a meta kind of way to communicate. We've seen a bunch of those things, you know, insurance, very small at the time, insurance company, you know, grabbed the first spot after the game, which was significantly discounted from an in-game spot. And they, you know, give, give the difference to somebody watching. So it became a sweepstakes where they gave away $2 million to, to a viewer based on the difference between the cost of an in-game spot and the cost of the first, first spot after the game. So you know, clever media hijacking types of stuff often does very well. And we've, and we've seen that do well. And I think this year, well, this year is completely different, right? Because everyone, the entire world is in a state of pain and, and anxiety. So, you know, tonally, and just in terms of strategies, I think brands are, a lot of brands are just super confused about what to do. And big brands getting out of the Super Bowl is one thing. And then what do other brands do around the Super Bowl to hijack it without looking flippant, I think is a big question. Do you have any insight into into any brand work this year? Have you heard any any stories of what's coming up? You know, I haven't, and I think less than usual for sure. And I think that's because of the uncertainty factor. You know, I think we've seen brands over the past year really struggle to connect with folks in general. You know, at the beginning of COVID, I'm sure we've all seen at this point the the montage of COVID ads that were all the same piano music and all the same you know, we empathize with you, we're, we're in this with you together. And it just is, you know, it became sort of a, a message that so many people were saying that it became invisible. And I think as folks sat down to determine what their ad strategy is going to be for the Super Bowl this year, I think they were starting from a place of, of anxiety of how do we, how do we not do that, first of all, and then how do we do something that is related to COVID, but, but gets noticed as well. And so I, you know, I think they've, I can only imagine the the creative meetings that have been happening over the past four, five, six months for these brands that are getting in as to, you know, such a changing situation in the culture as well, sort of week to week. There is some hope now, of course, with, with the vaccine rollout. So I think people are ready to have a little bit more of a, of a chuckle and, and to be entertained in, in sort of classic Super Bowl fashion. There's some really interesting points you made there about the sort of issues that all brands and, and advertisers have been facing this year, one of which is obviously the speed with which things change from a you know, week to week basis. And also this idea of, of specificity of trying to get quite specific about the problems that people are facing. 
And I think, you know, it, that speaks to some of the stuff we've been writing on Stylus about community and leaning more into community during this year of hardship. You know, we're seeing, you know, a, a rise in kind of local becoming the new global People are much more involved in their own communities, looking to purchase from local stores over the big nationals. That push for local has been growing over the year. And it's led to, you know, campaigns like Pepsi donating $100,000 fund to struggling restaurants in Tampa and Chipotle giving a dollar per digital order to a farmer's advocacy group. So, Clearly, there is uh, a desire to, to, to look at community uh, a bit more closely. When it comes to sports, Tim, you know, this is something that sports have been very good at for years and years. All sports advertising, to a certain extent, is about your own team community. Does that still work in the Super Bowl when, when you're looking at such a big national scale game? Well, if you're first of all, if you're buying into the Super Bowl, you're almost certainly a national brand, and the degree to which you can help local businesses probably varies from from brand to brand. I mean, I think it's great what Pepsi's doing, what what Chipotle's doing. I do think though that it's important during the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl context, to remember that really, you know, it is essentially an escapist environment. It's a it's a, a place where people want to be entertained. If you're going to give them a, a message about the, the good things that you're doing, I think you also have to remember that it needs to be creatively interesting. It needs to be entertaining on some level. You mentioned Chipotle. I mean, that's an interesting example to me. Is that you know they've released their 30 second in game commercial as you know as at the time we're recording this, they've already released that. And to me, it's just a bit underwhelming from the entertainment standpoint. You know, Chipotle is a company that's been through a lot of up and downs over the past decade their business has suffered greatly and they're sort of on the rebound now. So it's an interesting, you know, obviously what they're doing with, with sustainability and, and helping farmers is a key part of their message. But to me, it's, I wonder if that commercial is really going to be noticed in the crowd of, of spots on, on the game, you know, almost a decade ago, they made, you know, that video back to the start, which was an animated story about factory farming. Willie Nelson did the cover of Coldplay and it was just a beautifully done, wonderful, piece of creative work that really also sort of captured the company's values, but in a way that was just a hundred percent more creative and compelling than, than unfortunately than, than this 30 that we've seen over the past week come out. So to me, I mean, it's wonderful to, to, you know, broadcast your values in this venue, but in order to have the, the biggest impact, I think you have to somehow find a way to make it entertaining. And it's a very difficult thing to do you know, craft, you know, I think a lot of advertisers over the past decade, when they've done that, they've gone really quiet. And, and that can work sometimes if they, you know, the entire game is is over the top and loud, and you, you run a commercial that's super quiet and super poignant. There's been a few examples of that, that can work really well. But if you, you know, I think you, you run the risk of, of getting lost in the shuffle a bit. I think when you have a, an uplifting message about values, you know, it's like when you, it's essentially a party, right? And you show up to a party and if you want to talk about food waste, you know, you, you don't want to bring the party down, right? So find a way to do it in a, in a, in a way that's engaging and fun, I think is, is the key in this environment of Super Bowl. We talk about the Super Bowl as this big spectacle and as one of the only spectacles now that can pull this sort of audience together. What does the future look like then for brand advertising, for brands that want to go big in a world where out of home 
advertising and big events are are curtailed at the moment. What do we think if you want to go big as a brand you do these days? Maybe Julia, you have some thoughts on that. One of the obvious avenues to go down with, you know, big spectacle while people are in lockdown, I think that's definitely growing opportunity for live audience, one-to-many engagement in virtual spaces. I mean, the, you know, very common kind of pedestrian example of this is everything that Fortnite is doing with the live events right now. I think there's lots to be done right now in drawing people together around a virtual event and then giving them spaces where they can actually have a real life like experience. So there's been, I mean, Lil Nas X's concert on Roblox last year was actually quite groundbreaking in that regard because he just was going to give his concert in the specially designed game level, which makes sense on Roblox because everyone can build their own game level there. But it was also came along with like virtual scavenger hunts and people who came to see the concert could basically find hidden game tokens and thus earn rewards within the game and they could buy items for their avatars to wear past the concert and as they keep exploring Roblox around the world. And there's huge audiences in these spaces. So I think that's definitely something that brands need to look at. I think the idea of building like 3D assets that they can then translate into these sort of digital spaces is going to be massively important going forward. And I think these kinds of engagement strategies have just been accelerated by the pandemic. We're looking at sort of Super Bowl-like numbers for things like Lil Nas in Roblox, aren't we? Something around 40 or 50 million participants? Yeah, I think it's like 33 million individual ones. So there's, yeah, huge numbers being made there. And while Lil Nas X's experience was for free, there's also huge sales numbers being made with virtual events already. I mean, BTS, the Korean boy band, is, I guess, always a bad marker for real market value because the fandom is extremely dedicated. But still, they had some 990,000 fans pay for a virtual event concert in October. Ticket prices went from 30 to 80 US dollars, roughly, I think. So it's not even micropayment. It's genuine funds being put forward to these experiences. So I think people really value the chance to just find new modes of connection in absence of social FaceTime in the pandemic as well, but also just as an enhancement in the future. Tim, this is this is the sort of thing that I imagine makes old school advertising creatives fall asleep when you start talking about game worlds and and so on. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is the future in many respects and sports in particular has been very good at sort of adapting to a more digital virtual world. But when it comes to the sort of big creativity that you see in Super Bowl advertising, is this the sort of thing that will turn people off in the ad world or are they or are they starting to embrace this kind of digital future? Well, I think the smarter advertisers are certainly getting into those virtual events. I will say, though, when I think about spectacle and I think about how brands like to create spectacle, it's generally not virtual. You know, I mean, emotion being the currency of all advertising, I think the true emotion of spectacle is being at a rock concert, being at a sporting event. I mean, these are these are experiences that are not, to me, replicable in, in the virtual space. Now, yes, gaming is, is an interesting playground right now for brands for sure and you can you know the the Travis Scott Fortnite thing I think is is a wonderful example of creativity I think any brand would be would you know looking at that would be thrilled to replicate that success on that scale but you know you look at Super Bowl commercials just as an example of brand spectacle you know maybe maybe it's not appropriate right now like during this COVID pause to sort of show something that 
you know, shows all sorts of people, you know, partying together or, or having fun together. I think the, the, the Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade spot that just came out, the 60 that's going to run on the game this year is an interesting example. You know, it does, it addresses COVID. It's, it's this sort of rain of lemons happening sort of in this kind of Y2K chaos environment. I think that's a really fun way to sort of have a, have a spot that's big and fun and, and, a, and a spectacle within the, you know, the, the constraints of a, of a Super Bowl 60. But as far as, you know, the, I don't think the future, I think future of brand spectacle is we wait till the end of COVID and we get people back together again and get that emotional energy flowing again. You know, I don't think, I don't think anybody feels like the virtual events that have happened over the past year are a replacement for, for, you know, real world experiences. And I think once COVID is over, I think there'll be an enormous shift back. back. And I don't, you know, I, I think we've learned things virtually during COVID, but I don't think those things will replace uh, what we're all looking forward to getting back to. No, well, let's hope so. Let's hope we get back there soon. Tim, I, I ask my guests at the end of each episode, three sort of quick fire questions. So the first one is, if you had a million dollars, where would you invest it right now? In terms of the business world and brands, I mean, the cynic in me says Amazon, just considering how, you know, overwhelmingly dominant they've become. But the optimist in me looks at a company like Patagonia. You know, this is a company that, that all but invented purpose-driven advertising. And, you know, what greater purpose than healing the planet, which has been their purpose for many, many decades. And to me, they have such a single-minded focus on that goal that it, it drives innovation within the company. It drives their external messaging. They do lots of risky, interesting, brave things. Uh, and they've had a lot of success. I think just in the past year, you look at what they've done with, you know, upcycling and and, you know, it's, it's really inspiring to me to see a company that, you know, where the purpose goes so far beyond virtual virtue signaling, and it's just embedded in everything they do. So, you know, for me, from a consumer point of view, you can, you can feel good about supporting them. And, and I think I have to thank or hope that long-term they'd be a great financial bet to make. Great. The second question is, what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? Well, so in recent months, I've really been, you know, thinking about and, and consuming media around this idea of, you know, the, the, the big social networks really incentivizing the polarization and the outrage that's in the world right now. So I think the business model of these, of companies like Facebook and Twitter, the rise of QAnon, I mean, just, it shows how these algorithms, you know, they really skew reality and, and these companies profit off that skewed reality. So you know, in the attention economy in which we all, you know, live in, it, it, it pays to keep people outraged. And I think that's a dangerous business model to have. And I, I don't know what the answer is. I think it's, 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 it's scary to even think about how to go about solving that, that problem. But I do think over the next year or two, we have to do something about how these social networks operate or, or else, you know, I think we're in for some, some pretty difficult times. The final question is, which individuals or brands do you look to for inspiration in your work? So my work is mostly, you know, covering creative advertising. So I find a lot of inspiration from what, you know, the creative folks in the agency business are doing. You know, these agencies, in many cases, really push brands to try new things and, and to be brave and to embrace change before maybe they're, they're always comfortable to do so. So one of those agencies that I admire in particular is Widening Kennedy. This is now, an agency that's been around for 40 years, um, best known for creating Just Do It, of course, for Nike, but they continue to be incredible, you know, and shining light really in the creative world. You know, I've never 
come across a company that's so full of skilled artists, many of them very much avant-garde artists, you know, bringing so much value and interesting product to the world of consumer branding. So for me, Widening Kennedy is kind of the gold standard, but you know, there's many of those operating in the agency world as well. They're just sort of, to me, the, the pinnacle. Fantastic. So we are recording this and you are listening to it just slightly ahead of the Super Bowl. So hopefully you, some of our uh, analysis and insight and predictions will come true. Either way, I think a fascinating conversation. So much food for thought there. And I'd like to thank my guests, Tim Nudd and Julia Ahrens. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 